Welcome to the Nordic Food Tech Podcast. On this show, we share the stories of how different actors up and down the value chain are working to take climate action through food. It's all about inspiring collaboration, discussing the good that is happening, the challenges we share, and realizing a common vision for our future food system. I'm your host, Annalisa Winther, and let's jump in. A big topic of conversation in the food world is this idea of patient capital. That's money invested in entrepreneurs who are building companies that solve really tough problems like healthcare, water, food, and of course, agriculture. Building a company in any of these spaces requires a long-term view and time. ReFood is part of Gulsbang Invest, which is a Swedish family office investment firm that operates with an evergreen structure. This means that they can invest for the long term without posing time constraints, therefore acting more like patient capital with a very clear vision for the future food system they want to see. Gulsbang ReFood is based between Stockholm and San Francisco. They invest across four themes, alternative proteins and fats, regenerative farming, sustainable supply chains, and healthy diets. They're also known for having invested in some of the most successful food companies that have come out of the Nordic so far, like Oatly and Nix. In this episode, I sit down with Gustav Brandbär, who co-founded Gulsbang ReFood in 2020 to back entrepreneurs that are changing the food system. We discuss the fund's investment thesis, their guiding principles, what they look for in a pitch, and how they spot talent. And as mentioned, ReFood invested in Nix and Oatly. In the show notes, you can find a link to the episodes with each of those founders and their startup stories. There is also a link to the episode with the Stockholm Resilience Center. After attending an event with them, Gustav changed his thinking and his career to focus on food. And last but not least, if you're not on the Nordic Food Tech Podcast newsletter, let's change that. I invite you to sign up on www.nordicfoodtechpodcast.substack.com. I'll let you know when new episodes come out and you'll get access to additional exclusive content and commentary, including episode transcripts. Hello, Gustav, and welcome to the Nordic Food Tech Podcast. We are sitting live at the Big Meat in Stockholm, where there's this two-day event all about the future of food, and you're investing in the future of food. So maybe start by introducing us to, one, who you are, and then how you maybe got into food and found your way into this world. Thank you. So my background is in technology. I founded a software consulting firm, and we worked with uh, Spotify and King, iSettle, and all the tech unicorns in Stockholm before they were unicorns. So the first time we engaged with Spotify, there were 10 developers. And uh, having seen them grow to global leaders in their niche has been very inspiring. So when I started out investing together with my, first my father and now two brothers, so we are shareholders in Klarna, for example. And then I attended a program at the Stockholm Resilience Center in 2014 and realized how big, and I used to say broken, the food system is. But now I, I tend to say that the food system is very efficient and we transport calories all over the world and, and built in some respect, uh, aspect, a very impressive system, but it also creates a lot of damage. But I got interested in food and started doing investments first in a company called Mott.se, which is an online grocery store. And then the second investment was in Oatly. And I have, wouldn't have been even taken the meeting with a, um, 
oat milk company if I hadn't participated in the program at the Stockholm Resilience Center. So I'm, I'm happy about that. I, I now run Goldspong Invest with my brothers. And uh, our idea is to partner with entrepreneurs to create progress. So the progress part is very Im- important for us. And the, we avoid the term impact because it's sometimes connected to bad returns and, and good conscience. But we want to make a positive dif- difference. And our thesis is that uh, if you solve big problems, then you can make a lot of money if you, if you do it with the right people, with the right business models. And not all problems can be solved like that. But those who can, we want to back Mm. So that's the overall thesis, and we work mainly in energy, where we do geothermal and sun, and then I'm responsible for the investments in food through a subsidiary we call Gullspong Refood. Okay, so just going back to those early days, did you go to business school and kind of knew, did, was this a family business that you came into, or how did it end up that your dad and all these brothers are having an investment fund and then also spotting really good talent? Yes, so our father has an interesting background. He grew up in a small town called Gullspong, and that's why my generation decided to put that name on the firm. It actually means Golden Bridge. Uh, and Where is are, it in Sweden? It's uh, very close to Lake Vänern, between the two biggest lakes in Sweden, hmm. in uh, Västergötland. It's a small town, but when our great-grandfather bought a shop there in the beginning of the 1900s, it was a, a place where they just built a power plant, the biggest power plant in Northern Europe at that time. So it meant a lot of people moved to the town. So uh, the lesson learned is that you should start your business in, <laughs> in a place where there is growth. Uh, but then our uh, grandfather turned that into a men's fashion store and our father grew up helping out in that store. And he has lots of stories when a supplier is short of money and comes for and asks for a loan or a customer comes into the shop and uh, that can teach you lessons on how you do business with people you live with. So one of our principles is that we try to be uh, relational based. So tr- try to build relations with people we want to do business with for a long time. And then we have transactions uh, within those relations. So that's one thing we learned from them. And then our father moved to Stockholm. Uh, worked for a bank and then for Electrolux and at a very young age became vice president finance, traveled the world, bought a lot of companies in the 70s and merged them. So he has this industrial uh, view on the world and how you can find synergies be- between companies. And then he worked with Jan Steenbeck, who is very famous in Sweden, not so much internationally, but he was a second generation uh, f- family business uh, entrepreneur who challenged a lot of the media monopolies in the 80s. So he transformed his family's business from steel and wood into mobile phones. Uh, my father uh, was a part of starting the first commercial TV channel in Sweden, which wasn't even legal at the time. But Jan's point was that what? technology beats, <laughs> beats regulation. So he started a UK-based channel and it happened to broadcast over satellite and can only be viewed in Scandinavia. And uh, it was broadcast in Scandinavian languages. But formally, it was a UK uh, uh, TV channel. So we got around legislation and um, launched uh, TV3, which was the first commercial TV channel. And then, of course, the the law changed shortly thereafter because there was a huge demand for uh, other channels than just two state-owned channels. Mm. So he saw that and someone who dared to take a lot of risk and, and venture into the news. So I think uh, we have grown up, heard stories about all these three perspectives and we try to combine and take the best of them. So now we have an investment company with our family money, which is uh, long term. So we invest 
uh, in Goldspong Invest, only our own money. And in Goldspong Refood, we are the biggest shareholder with uh, one third of the capital committed. And uh, we are an evergreen. So it's very important for us not to be a fund where we have to close at some artificial date that is not relevant for the companies we back or how the market is developing. And, and as you see right now, the market is a bit challenging and it's really nice to be able to have a 10-year perspective because we know after bad years, good years come. And if you just can uh, wait, them, wait the bad years out, we'll be fine. So we try to back companies that will be relevant in 10 years and have that perspective. Yes, and you mentioned that there was three main principles that you grew up with and that have kind of become, I don't know if I should call them the core values of the company or how you view the world through your fund. What were those three? I, I'm not sure we have just three values, but the three perspectives were the family business, the industrial perspective, and then the entrepreneurial perspective. And uh, we want to back entrepreneurs who dare to take risk, but we also want them to think big and think big about how they fit in in the overall big system uh, so that they can grow the company into something big. We started out backing Swedish companies, but now we invest in Europe and US. And in the future, we hope to be able to invest in the rest of the world and build that network. But you can't, like even if you invest in a Swedish company, you can't have Sweden as the kind of the target market. You have to sit on the moon first, look down and look at the big picture. So that's what we want. Mm. Uh, and then the third, uh, you know, the family business part is all about relations. So uh, having relationships with the entrepreneurs and, and be it together so you can trust each other. So trust is an important uh, thing we look for. Uh, mutual trust so they can trust us and we can trust them and work together in a partnership. Mm. And how is it divided between you in terms of who's the partners in the firm? What about, is it different between ReFood versus you and your brothers? How should we think of the organization? Yes, so at the top level, the three of us now uh, run the company. Our father is retired and we have divided up the responsibilities. Uh, so one of our uh, of the three of us is running, we own some forest and it's, it's nice to uh, you know, own some real things that grow. Uh, it's also very related to agriculture, it right? Is, forestry, it is, you know? and um, there is monoculture in forestry as well, uh, which we have problems with today in Sweden with bugs that spread like wildfire because mm. we planted the same kind of tree uh, 30, 40 years back. So it's it's interesting. And then um, my brother Magnus runs uh, the energy investments, and I am responsible for the food investments. And then in the food part, in Goldspong Refood, the co-founder is Peter Odemark, and he worked his whole life in the food industry as an operator. So he's been a CEO of, of big and small companies, innovative companies, and he's been part of uh, roll-ups, for example, buying 40% of the frozen market in Europe. So he's seen uh, a lot and has a great um, network. So I think it's a great combination to have someone from the inside who's seen a need of change to more sustainable and healthy products from that perspective and and. Uh, we are coming from the outside, seeing the problems that the food system causes and, and think that we can do something about that. When you say the frozen food, 40%, what does that mean? Now, uh, there's, a, for example, a Swedish company called uh, Findus that was acquired by a company that acquires uh, companies that sell frozen food. Hmm. And frozen, it consumes uh, energy and you, you, it's required a cold chain but at the same time, it reduces food waste a lot and preserves the food. So that can be a very good 
good way of uh, distributing food if you can solve the energy part and make that sustainable. So, so. he he bought a company that had no no he worked for a company that did a operated yeah got it. And how did you two meet each other? Uh, we met uh, at a network event like this. It's, it was actually one of our um, uh, employees at Goldspong who met Peter. Thought he was a great person, and Peter had been exploring starting a, uh, a VC firm together with Nomad Foods, who he worked for, the, the owner of the frozen companies. And uh, that didn't turn out, but then he had spent a lot of time thinking about how you should set it up in a perfect way. And we were looking to try to do more into food because it was basically only me. Uh, and we, need, we said we need to build a team around that. And Peter knew how he wanted to build a team. And then we synced on values and a lot of things. We view the world in a similar way. And we come in with different experiences. So it's a good combination. And what is that worldview? Does that relate to the three perspectives or is that different? No, what we did uh, early on was to consolidate our knowledge about the food system and uh, concluded that there are lots and lots of problems in the food system, but most of them are symptoms of some few root causes. And these root causes are not easy to eliminate, but if we manage to do that, then we solve most of the problems we have right now. Uh, one of them is animal factory farming. So it's a huge problem that our food eats our food. So we, a third of the uh, fields are used to grow crops that we put into the mouths of animals, and it's mostly cows, pigs, and chicken. And then we eat those, and there are other problems related to animal welfare and uh, antibiotics and uh, greenhouse gas emissions as well. But uh, think of it, if you, if you stopped eating all that meat, we could get one-third of all the land that we use for agriculture back, and we could give it back to nature. And it's, it's the main cause we cut down rainforests, actually, that we have the, uh, the animals in, in uh, huge factories. And then uh, food waste, packaging, the way we grow the food on the fields in a way that depletes the soil, uh, and also unhealthy ingredients, uh, especially sugar that we consume in, in huge amounts, and it's very unhealthy. So if you can eliminate those few root causes, and there are a few others I haven't mentioned, then we solve a lot of the problems. And we created this report called Food is Solvable that you can Google for and, and find on our website and, and read. And we also combine that with an ethical framework that we use, uh, animal welfare, uh, ethical work conditions, access to food, so no hunger, and, and uh, the, the food we eat should be healthy. Uh, so we use that as a guiding principle when we look for investments, that we need a prosperous food system within uh, the, the planetary boundaries and meeting the ethical foundation. We kind of spend quite a lot of time understanding the food system and where we want to make a difference. So how on earth do you do your due diligence? Because that's so many different parameters to measure on, and you really need to get to know a company to know if they're going to be true to many of those ideas. Yes, yes. first of all, uh, we try to see if the overall uh, business idea of the company is to make the world more sustainable, the food system more sustainable, and if the way they do that fits with our view on what we see as a prosperous food system. So we have, exactly makes everything much easier to have done this homework, because we can quickly see if we align, and the, I think the most interesting conversations is, uh, are when entrepreneurs show up with an idea that doesn't fit our worldview, and we realize that they are right. And we haven't really thought about mm. that uh, aluminium could be a very sustainable uh, packaging, for example. Uh, and then we change our worldview and add onto, onto this uh, framework we have. So that's our first parameter we look at. Can this drive sustainability? 
And although the report is called Food is Solvable, uh, we don't see the world as problems that needs a solution, but rather as a system that can have good and bad uh, outcomes. And we try to maximize, optimize the system with a lot of good outcomes and minimizing the bad. So a lot of the bad stuff in the world right now are the consequences of solutions. Yeah. So it's a really good idea to burn a lot of coal because it has really uh, made the world better for many, many people and, and erased poverty in so many ways. But of course, uh, changing the climate is a, is a catastrophe. So when we introduce new things, we think a lot about what happens if this company scales up. Will it create new problems or will it actually transform the world into a more sustainable uh, place to be? So. Yeah, I mean, it's a fine line to walk in some regards because everything you do can have unintended consequences and you can start your company with the best intentions. But it feels to me like staying humble or being ready to receive that feedback regarding, hey, when you do this, it actually does have an impact here is important in terms of what you're doing and how you guys approach this. It is, and and you have to be humble, as you say. And uh, we also uh, have a collaboration with the Stockholm Resilience Center, or in the sense we are supporting a professorship. So we pay half of a professorship together with the Kia Foundation. It pays the other half for 10 years in sustainable food. Uh, no strings attached. They can do whatever research they want to do, but it means that we can reach out to them and ask for help when we're looking at companies and say, are there any interesting reports, any researchers working on this that can guide us a little bit and help us? So we, we get help from them. Uh, we get help from other uh, experts uh, in sustainability and in different. So we, we try to use our network to really understand the technology, the disadvantages, things that the technology can solve and not, and so and limitations of the technology. Mm. And then, of course, we like every other investor. We, we spend a lot of time understanding the team and making sure that they have the right values that we are looking for and that they really want to solve the problem, not only uh, opportunistically capitalize on, on uh, how, how the world is right now. At the same time, people who want to build profitable businesses that can scale and become very valuable. So we don't see uh, any problem with earning money if you solve big problems. Uh, in the opposite, if a company does something much better and can transform the system, if you scale it, you can create much bigger impact. And if you don't make money, you can't scale it. Uh, you can't get access to capital. So we think the finance system and the real world needs to really be aligned. And we can, should, should use finance as a tool for good rather than just for uh, making some, some people more richer and, and you know, so... That's the, that's the bigger picture. That's our real, like we want to transform the food system, but we realize we need to change finance. And we try to be uh, showing that you can earn money while solving big problems. We hope others will follow. But in the end, I think the whole system needs to be aligned with reality. So we, we, you really can't make money unless you provide net positive value to the world. I'm wondering if there's a tangible example we can lean on in terms of how you're using finance for good, thinking of it in that way. Um, but also to illustrate some of the companies that you think are doing good work in this space that fit your worldview. So maybe a couple examples would help to bring this to life. Yes. Uh, so we, I can mention a few of our portfolio companies. Uh, so we want to invest in healthy diets. That, that therefore, we invested in an ice cream and chocolate company, which might be counterintuitive. Is that some, really something we need to eat? Shouldn't we stop eating ice cream and, and take care of our health? But our view on that is that, yes, some people will constrain themselves and stop eating ice cream. 
most won't, including mm -hmm. myself. Same. So I think we have to design a world for humans where humans can have their strengths and weaknesses. And, uh, you know, pe people are, they want to live a good life. And it's hard to resist temptations. It's like Oscar Wilde said, the best way to get rid of a temptation is to fall for it. And I think that's what most people do. And therefore, if you can get the sugar out of the ice cream, make it a healthy alternative, not something you should base your whole diet on, but once you can eat once in a while without it negatively affecting your health. So we said you, when people eat our products at NYX, they should fe feel good about themselves. It should, could be a comfort food. So you eat it and you feel good, but you should feel good after 15 minutes, one hour, one week, one year. Mm -hmm. So we say that the bar is products that our kids want to eat every day and we happily allow them to eat every day yes so. and we, we've had nicks on this show we've also had the founder of oatly on this show yeah. as well as the stockholm resilience center so huh. i will link all of those so that people can dive further into the stories but i i want to relate this maybe also to the oatly fact but you also mentioned mentioned spotify earlier on how is it that you go out and find these companies and spot these companies because i mean nicks and oatly i would say are two of the bigger success stories when it comes to food so far in terms of starting in Sweden and then going abroad and really making it globally, or at least well on their way to doing so. So how do you find these talents and you know spot them at such an early stage? I've been investing now for 12 years, and we have one of our principles. Uh, you get good judgment from experience, and experience you get from bad judgment. So in the beginning, I got impressed with some business ideas that were not viable. They didn't make it. Uh, and our success ratio has improved uh, over the years. But still, we, we make investments in companies that don't make it because it's really, really hard oh, yeah. to build something big. And you have to accept failure. So And Oatly calls themselves the 20-year overnight success. <laughs> like People think yes. it happened overnight. It yes. took decades, yes. and that's yes. true. I think it's seven years is the average amount of time it takes a company to really pick up traction. Yes, and that's, I think, it's important to have a long-term investor um, because if you don't succeed on the first try and the second try, uh, you won't get a third try if, if uh, your investors aren't, aren't patient. And it doesn't mean we always keep putting in money in companies that uh, don't make it, but it means that if the entrepreneurs still want to try, we will back them, Not maybe not with money, but with advice, how they can scale back, how they can, you know go back to the drawing table and, and try again. And uh, as, as long as they want to go on, we will try to find a way to support them. So I think that's, that's something to look for as an entrepreneur. And I would say not all entrepreneurs should look for an investor like us. It depends on your own temperament, what you're trying to achieve. Maybe you want to like, try, fail, and if you fail, you just move to something else. But we want to look for entrepreneurs that really want to solve big problems and are prepared to spend the rest of their lives, if necessary, mm. to really try to make it. I'm really impressed with the Oatly founders, you know, the, the, uh, the, the Oster brothers, yeah, how they, you know, year after year, they kept fighting. And every year was a little bit better than last year, which meant that they, they didn't give up, kept going. And it took a long time for them to make the break. To bring and, and make it big. So yeah, and yeah. I, I just met you at this event. Um, I've been moderating this disruption stage where we've had startups and investors coming together to see kind of who's in the room and what's happening. But just from speaking with you, it totally makes sense to me that you've done a lot of reading and you're very thoughtful in terms of thinking of the food system and what really are the problems and how do we go to the root of it and then where do we put the money to try and fix those root problems, which is 
a huge task, and it's like an onion that you can just keep pulling back the layers of. That's why I can imagine I'll do this show for many years to come because there's just so much to dig into and to cover. And you're always learning. Like this is a field where you're just constantly there's always something more to learn, and then you figure out how it attaches to some other part of the ecosystem. And you know, it's it's complex, but in a beautiful way. And that was the main reason why I choose food as investment、uh, area because it's so. Big. It's the biggest system we created. It takes、mm-hmm. up a lot of the land use on Earth. Is are used like it's used for create food, but it also is down on cellular level. What happens in your body when you eat it? And that's just on the、uh, kind of interesting science part. And and then food is so much more. It's、uh, it, it's something to enjoy. It、mm. you can build friendships around food. Share bread, and、uh, it plays such a big part in our lives. And I think it's underappreciated in many ways. And in in my own life, sometimes I just, you know, fill my stomach instead of really enjoying the food and reflecting over where it comes from. And and it should be able to find that,、uh, fill that use case as well. Sometimes we just need、uh, a quick snack, and there's nothing wrong with that. So, but the word consciousness has just kept coming up for me in the last couple days of the conscious choice、mm-hmm. and how to do that as a consumer. Yes, or the slowing down to eat the food and just being a bit more aware of what am I choosing and what is the impact of what I choose. And it takes work to start understanding it. Our system is not set up to make that super easy for you at the moment. But I am、um, that that's been very prevalent to me as a theme that there's a lot of focus around knowledge being very powerful. To move us forward in this space, it is, and I I think people should reflect about their food choices, not because they're obliged to do that from a moral perspective. Well, at this time and period, like you have to think about your food, and do you, do I really want to contribute to the food system as it is built now, like animal factory farming?、Mm. But I don't think in the future that we should require everyone to be a moral consumer for two reasons. First of all, I don't think everyone will be. And I don't want to build a system, have a system that is、uh, that needs something that I think won't be there. It, it's then the odds that it will fail is is big. But then, on the other hand, I don't think that、uh, a human being is capable of、uh, you know assembling all the knowledge about the food system, where food comes from, and then use that knowledge and pick the right products with the right packaging. It's an, it's an impossible task, and you, we shouldn't feel bad about. Not being able to do that, I think many people today they have angst, like they're v- very worried about the climate, and、uh, they're worried about the choices they make, and they feel bad about themselves for making the wrong choices. That's not a good thing.、Uh, we are humans, and we should be allowed to have our our strengths and weaknesses. And no one can take in that information. I spent now seven years trying to under- understand the food system and its implications, and I learn new things every day. And I don't make the perfect cho- food choices. For example, I still eat egg. I know how they're produced. It's terrible, but it's so hard to replace. And I have a family, and、um, so that's one thing. I I I don't eat meat that much, and if I eat it, I, I eat game and I reduce sugar. I don't、um, I don't drink milk. Uh, but the eggs are hard to replace, and I've accepted that. That okay, maybe we can fix an egg replacement, and then I can switch to that. But we're not there yet. No. And before we dive into the questions I ask everyone, I want to go through a couple basic facts around the fund. So, one: How big is the fund? That's the first question. It's not a fund. It's oh, an it's, investment company. It's an、yes. investment company. Yeah,、See? no, but but we are like a fund, so it's correct. 
and we usually don't talk about size, but we can do a five million, five to ten million dollar investments as a first investment, and then we can double and triple uh, that for each case. So, say up to thirty million dollars for each company. And you're investing globally. Is there a stage that you look at? Given the size of the ticket, uh, we can't go in too early. It doesn't make sense. So usually, uh, what VCs would call Series A. Uh, companies that have found you know their business model and they have a product and they have maybe 10 million dollars in revenue uh, and want to scale but we are a little bit agnostic about it. we we make exceptions we have invested in pre-revenue companies when the potentially when yeah when it makes sense yes and what is it that you look for when a company is approaching you like what's your ideal pitch so what do you look for in the pitch deck do you like it over email like yeah. what's the best way for someone to get in touch with you and really nail that yes. meeting that yes. first meeting uh, we love inbounds so please send us your deck uh, we have we get a lot of inbound we don't have the time to go through all of them in detail uh, unfortunately we try to respond to everyone eventually it can take some time but we're looking for, first of all, a, a description of the problem that the company or the worldview and, and uh, what needs to be fixed. Usually we, we skip that part because we've done our homework on that. But then we want to understand what is unique about this company. What do they have that can really transform the food system? What's the structural competitive advantage? Like where in the food system, where in the value chain, is it a B2B, B2C company? What's the business model and so on? What's the thoughts about that? And of course, you want to know the stage, uh, the team, and the team we want to get to know. So, But usually it's good to have an idea of uh, the composition of the team, the experiences, uh, previous successes. Yeah, that's a good start. Yeah, definitely. And then to follow on that, how long does it normally take for you to invest? Can it go fast? Does it take six months? Like, What would be the thing to expect from the first time that deck <laughs> lands in your inbox we try to be very pragmatic and uh, be fast but in reality we want to do our homework so usually you should uh, count on four to six months before the first contact and ideally we meet with people long before they need money so we can uh, build the relationship, build the relationship yeah. get to know them know that we like the company and then we can discuss the terms and if you only have the terms left to discuss then it can be pretty quick yeah, one of the best fundraising tips I've heard is that uh, people will start building their investor mailing list, and then every year or every six months, they'll just send a little update like, hey, remember we're here, this is what's happened, yeah. long before they need to raise money, but just to keep that relationship warm. That's a very good tip, and I'd love to get emails from entrepreneurs telling us about their progress, even if they're not uh, raising money at the moment. And we, we'll, I, I like to say we love all kinds of entrepreneurs even those who don't you know, solve problems we want to help solving. And in the future, I hope I can go back to invest in companies that, that just do cool stuff and fun stuff because all the sustainability problems have been solved. Yeah. So then what would you say is your vision for the future of food in 10 to 15 years? In 10 to 15 years, I think we haven't really solved uh, all the big problems yet uh, at all. We have still a lot of things to do. But... Uh, our, our way of thinking is that our vision for the future is not so specific on what is going to exist, but rather what is not going to exist. So I hope we have really challenged the animal factory farming and show that it's a, it's a dead end to go that way and make animal factory farming more efficient instead moving to other alternatives. And I think that will be a myriad of alternatives. I think we will have domesticated more 
small things we can't see. So the second domestication is a theme we're working on, fermentation, you know, using fungi to produce things that, that we need, that we can use. I hope that we have solved uh, the supply chains, making them shorter, reducing a lot of the uh, packaging that we use today and uh, made the remaining packaging uh, more sustainable, uh, with more sustainable materials. So. Are those all the things that we would call your investment thesis, like the main yes. areas you're looking yes. into? And, and what I re- would really like to see are farmers that are rock stars, that uh, have the status they deserve, because uh, every, everyone on this planet uh, wakes up hungry every day. And we have people producing that food for us, and we don't appreciate it enough. And I also think the definition of a farmer will change so that uh, you can produce food in other ways than growing things in fields. Uh, Controlled environments, I think, are very interesting for increasing the yield and reducing the uh, impact on the environment. And ideally, we would use a lot less land to produce more food than we can produce today and make sure everyone... uh, uh, can get their fair share. It's, I think, we st- at this day, we produce enough food for everyone on this planet, but we waste a lot of it in the system, and mm. uh, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't go to where it needs to go. And then the no. data flow, the digitization that needs to happen. Uh, one of the first podcasts I did was with Maersk, and they were talking about how this big logistics shipping company yeah. is thinking of the future of food yeah. and food waste and food loss because they move it around the world and yes. they can just see how much goes to waste and how inefficient yeah. it is. And there, like the internet is not that old. Our generation thinks it's been around forever, but it hasn't. And Elon Musk uh, put it like when when we got the internet, we got a uh, nerve system. You get a data. You can you can read that data on the other other side of the planet, and we haven't even started using that to optimize. Uh, the food system. Not at all. There's so much work to be done there. Um, Similar follow-up question. What do you think we're missing to achieve that vision? First of all, uh, I think regulators have a huge responsibility in this. uh, And I'm not looking for incentives to good stuff. The system should be created about around what's bad. So in my dream world, this is, this will not happen, but in, in, uh, I, Rod, I think this will happen eventually, but not in my lifetime, that we have a global tax system that taxes everything that is costly and not anything else. So if you take a resource from the planet, mm. you pay for it because mm. that resource should be lost not only for our generation, but all future generations of humanity. And if you think of it, we want humanity to be around on this planet for hundreds and thousands of years, millions of years. That are billions and billions and billions of people who need to use the same resources that we are now, for example, phosphate, we are taking it from the mines and flushing it out in the sea. Uh, That's not sustainable. Then, for example, labor, you shouldn't tax at all. If you can give someone else a meaningful thing to do, why should you have to pay for that? Mm. Uh, So the whole tax taxation system, the whole finance industry needs to be rebuilt, redesigned. We should use the best part of it that we have today and then change some things. And these things will be very hard to change. But I think regulators should think hard about this, how they can help the transformations we need by punishing bad stuff. Yeah. For example, a carbon tax is very, very effective. The problem is that we don't have a global entity that can tax all carbon at the same time on a, on a global scale. Um, and we need those kind of things in the food system. When you think of the Nordics, what is the role that you see us playing 
And where do you think our strengths lie in terms of really being able to make an impact on the food system? Yes, I think, I hope we can keep our humbleness in this part because we're such a small part of the world. Small nation, uh, and, yeah. And when you live here, you think it's the center of the world. It's not. So what we do here in terms of consumption is uh, really unimportant compared to what uh, the 1.4 billion Chinese people or the Americans or the, even the Germans decide to do. But I think our role can be to be um, uh, a test market for products because we are very progressive when it comes to trying new things in this part of the world. And we should think about what we could um, uh, scale from here to the rest of the world. And if we can even be a hub that attracts talent from all over the world who wants to come here, try the new products. And, and uh, if we can create an ecosystem of investors that can be long-term and really support companies that want to create sustainability and accelerate sustainability and we can if you can attract those companies here those entrepreneurs then we can play a big role in the world yeah um and that's my my hope that we can get to that state thank you last two questions for you are what collaborations are you looking for or what help are you looking for I'm always looking for like-minded people to collaborate with other investors and that we can share deal flow with, uh, discuss cases. And the fun thing about being an early stage investor is that you want to collaborate, you want to share notes and uh, learn from each other. And you want to invest in companies that other good investors are backing too. So it's not competition, it's more cooperation mm -hmm. uh, because we uh, take a lot of risk and it's nice to take risk together with other trustworthy companies, other investors. And uh, we want to get in touch with entrepreneurs that think they have, who are crazy enough to think they can change the world to the better and think they have the technology and the knowledge to do so. Um, yeah. Perfect. Um, why did you call it ReFood? Huh. Yeah, that's a good question. We, uh, uh, we, we were thinking about the name, but quickly we, we decided on refood because I think re is a very good uh, prefix. You can, we, we need to reimagine the world and redesign and recycle and so re is uh, everywhere. Uh, every, it should be everywhere. It's not yet but we want to fix I get that. It. That's cool. Last question is how can someone best get in touch with you? What's, the, what's your contact details? I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you, they can shoot me a mail at gustav at refood.vc um, and I will eventually respond, hopefully. <laughs> uh, and if I don't do it immediately, I have some other mails in my inbox. But yeah, just Google me. Well, perfect. Thank you so much for coming on and telling us all about what you're up to. Thank you. All right, that's all for today. So what were your thoughts on this episode? I'd love to hear them. Feel free to shoot me a message on LinkedIn or Instagram or email me at nordicfoodtechpodcast at gmail.com. If you really liked it, consider becoming a patron and supporting the show for a few dollars every month. The link to do so is in the show notes or visit www.nordicfoodtech.io. Your contribution will make all the difference and enable me to tell more good stories about how we're creating a better future through food. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time.